This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. So tonight we're going to be going through 2 Kings 18 and 19. This is what the pastor said many times. I've never had the privilege of saying it, but I get to tonight because I like it. Because that's my I'm a beggar, and that's what my... That's what my preacher there says at times that I like to listen to. He says, this is going to be like flying over at 37,000 feet or 31. There's no way because there's too many books. The book of Isaiah, 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, 2 Kings. There's like there's so many books that have this encounter and there's so much to it that we would have to do a series to see all of it all together. So we're just going to touch on what we need to touch on. And the, the main thing is, is, it's not just a history lesson, but it's when we get into 2 Kings 19, is to understand that we are just as Hezekiah is in this day because every one of our lives, there's something, there's a siege in our life. Before we get started, understand that that's a general theme. He was besieged in his own city. You're besieged in your life too. And those things are things that are without, that are outside of you, that still affect you, even as a born-again believer. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you don't have faith in God. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is there's still strongholds in your life that have not been broken, just as the chains that we heard Sunday night. There's still things in your life that have not been broken. Does that mean that you're not a child of God? Most certainly not. Does that mean you're weak? No. Does that mean that you have fear and that you don't trust in God? No. It means that you're a human being in the process of sanctification, and you're trusting in a God, and you have faith, that he is going to see you through everything. Otherwise, you wouldn't spend your time coming here, praying to him, coming to church. Why would you do those things? I mean, don't do them to impress a person. Do these things because that's what God, it's God that you're seeking. It's not man. So what we see with Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18 is just setting it all up. But I want us to focus on 2 Kings 19 because we need to go to God in the same way. We need to take the things that we have, spread it out before him, do all the things that he did, and watch how God moves. But at the same time, let's look in 18 and see. It says, Hezekiah reigns over Judah. So in verse 1, it says, Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now keep that in mind. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpents that Moses had made. For unto those days the sons of Israel burned incense to them, and it was called Neshutan. Now here's the thing. Asherah was a, was a Phoenician goddess. So they had resurrected all these things. And what we're fixing to learn like right now in verse 5 is he trusted, this is Hezekiah, he says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all kings of Judah, nor among those that were before him. Well, the person who preceded him was his dad, Ahaz. He was evil, 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 evil. All of these terrible things, a lot of these terrible things that you could see, if you'll take the time to study out the rest of it, he's the one who instituted these things. Ahaz was evil. He went and bowed down to other nations and brought tribute to other nations and asked other nations to bring their gods into this nation. He was a terrible person. 
But here's the great thing about that. Let's, let's look at that in light of this is Hezekiah. His father is the king. And the Bible says he was an evil man in God's sight. But his son wasn't. You don't have to be. You don't have to be who other people are. You can be just who God has you to be. Yes, sir. I did not look into that. I don't know. You said how many how many generations was it from him back to David? Yeah, I mean I'm sure he must be in that line. Well, Second Samuel seven. Yeah. No, sir, I didn't. I didn't even look into that. I really didn't. Um. Verse 5, I'm going to turn to 1 Kings 15. We're going to go back to 1 Kings just for a moment. I'll, I'll read that one to you guys. Uh, 1 Kings 15 and 18. Let's look at first at the two, the two examples that we have. There are multiple because all the kings, there were very few kings that were actually good kings. We know this from studying the word. But 1 Kings 15 and 18 will be the first one we look at because this would have been before, of course. 15 and 18, then Asa took all the silver and the gold which were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramon, to the son of Hezion, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, the king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. He was evil. This is a, this is, I understand there's, you know, there's a northern, there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. He's asking him to go and break treaty with the northern kingdom. Because he's evil in the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom understands that. He says, and let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, the king of Israel, so that he will draw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ajan, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mahak, and Shinaroth, besides all the lands of Naphtali. He sent another heathen people against God's people. That was the king of the southern kingdom of God, if you want to put it that way, of Israel. That's amazing. The northern kingdom is called Samaria. The southern is Jerusalem. So when you see Samaria, that's synonymous with the northern kingdom. When they're overthrown, that was the land of Samaria. So, which is, I don't know, that's just to me that amazes me. So that shows you the first thing how evil he was. In 2 Kings 16 and 7, it says, this is Ahaz, this is, so Ahaz sent messengers to tilgoth Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to Kir and Rezan to death. Yet again, his own father sick the heathen nation against God's people. And, but yet, but yet, that's the great part. But yet, he is a godly man 
who is rectifying all the evils of his father and those that came before him. Because all of these things that he's done, the things that he's removed, um, the, the thing about the serpent that I found interesting is the serpent was not a bad thing because God told Moses to make the serpent. But they had taken the serpent and they were using it as an instrument to worship God and it was never intended to do that. So that's why it was broken to pieces and it was taken apart. In verse 6, For he clung to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. So this is telling us that Hezekiah himself was keeping the Ten Commandments and those that were given aside from the tablets. We know there was a lot of commandments, guys. But he is actually trying his very best to reestablish everything the way it was. If you go back and read the Levites, the, the sacrifices, he's cleansing the temple, he's cleansing the places. All of that stuff is being put back right through Hezekiah because his father had desecrated everything. Not only that, but the land. He had desecrated the land. So he's trying to put things back. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord was with him, this is Hezekiah, wherever he went he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. The reason that he didn't is because his father's the one who had set to pay tribute, right? So there was nobody was paying tribute to the Assyrian king before. We just were our own. But he's the one who made an he made an alliance with them so that they would take out his foe, which was his own people, which is amazing. So in order to do that, he would do just like Caesar asked for. What did he ask from the Jews? Pay me tribute. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God's what is God's. We know that. But that was instituted by Caesar. And then Jesus Christ told them to continue to do that. But this, this was not God. Understand, this was his father who reached out to him and made an alliance and formed an alliance to him so that he would attack his enemy. So now he's rebelling against that because God did not say in his word, there is nowhere in his word, that he said that they had to pay tribute to a heathen nation. Matter of fact, they're not supposed to. They're not even supposed to associate with them. They're not supposed to intermarry with them. They're not supposed to have an alliance with them for sure. You're not to have an alliance with a nation that is set against the God of Israel, the living, true, one true God. So that's where he finds himself. So he rebels against him. Now that's a pretty big deal. Assyria is massive at this time. They're humongous. And we're going to see all the lands. That's why I had given you this map. Um, so that you could look at how many places they overthrew. And that's just uh, what would be considered the, the cities that were associated with Israel. Uh, it's a bunch. It says in 8, he, that being... Hezekiah, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. So, I'm, and so he, he's taken back. This is the part where he's, you want to call it cleansing the land. He's taken back what was taken from, from God. And the Lord has given him, why was he successful? When it says that about Hezekiah, when it says that about him, and the Lord was with him wherever he went, he prospered. It was only because God truly was with him, just as it said. Because if he were not, he would have not prospered. Which is, what does it say with us? Jesus Christ, as he grew, he grew in favor with God and with man. You and I, it's no different. Our favor should grow with the Lord as we grow and we walk closer to him. But does that mean our troubles go away? Most certainly not. As Hezekiah is going to see, because he's doing what God wants. He's taking back everything that belongs to God. He's cleansing everything. But you know what that's brought? That's brought about a lot of torment in his life, and it's fixing to get a lot worse. 
Because here's the deal, guys. When you do stuff right, you're going to upset people. Especially up, upset people who, especially people like we're going to see here in a minute, this man thought he was God. You're going to upset people who think, because especially they're especially religious, and they think that they're right about everything, no matter what the Word of God says, you're going to upset those people when you tell them the truth about the Word of God. Because what does the Word of God do? It cuts. It divides. And it, it brings out the truth. And a lot of people do not like the truth. And I myself is one of those people at times. I don't like to know what that is because that means that I have to change. My flesh must change. In Second Chronicles 28, 18, it says, The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gedaroth, and Soko with its villages, Timnah and its villages, and Gimzo with its villages, and they settled there. For, this is why, though, listen, 19, For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. There's a reason. Disobedience, all, there's always something that follows disobedience. Thankfully for you and I, that is not complete and total, utter death. It's repentance. We should be a repentant people. We should constantly repent. Every day you should be repenting of your sin. Because that's what we're asked to do. That's what we're called to do. So in this instance, I bring it back to there. He defeated, Second Chronicles proves he's defeated and taken back those things. So Hezekiah, is a, he's a victor. He's going out in the name of the Lord, with the Spirit of the Lord on him, and he's taken back all that was lost that his do you notice who did this though it was his own father so don't say that just because you came out of whatever you came out of you can't be victorious and you can't be used by God because the word said when we began there was never ever before or after ever a king like Hezekiah we can think about John the Baptist was there ever a man born that was greater than John the Baptist no why because the word tells us was there ever a man that was wiser than Solomon? No, because the word tells us. There was never a greater king than Hezekiah. And his father was a heathen. That's amazing. That means what? God is merciful and he's faithful. And there's hope for every single person we come into contact with. Thank God for that. That's what this proves. I'm looking at this New Testament, Old Testament, all of it. As long as there's breath, there's hope. Always, always. we got to always keep that in mind. Always. Then he goes on in verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now it came about in the fourth year of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. That is Sennacherib. That's just, you know how they do in the Old Testament. They... And at the end of three years, they captured it. Now, look at that. How long did it take for him to capture the northern kingdom? Took three years. They besieged the city for three years before they overtook it. Now, I want you to remember that. Because when we get down to the end and he's trying to take Jerusalem, history will say that he just backed off and left. Does a man that spends three years trying to overthrow one kingdom... Does he just someday not overthrow the greatest kingdom that he comes into contact with? The same king that, that destroys Babylon. He lives long enough. He goes and destroys Babylon completely, although it's a Syrian held because he's mad at them. No, that man does not do that. So it's the Lord. It's the Lord who does what he does. 
So he, he's besieged in three years. They captured it in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. Samaria was captured. The northern kingdom, the Babylonian exile, they have been led away now. The northern kingdom is no longer, there's no longer any Levites. There's no longer, there's nothing can happen there. Because why? Because they disobeyed God. And we're not going to go into that, but that's the study that goes along with this. Why were they overthrown? Because God said they would be. Because their prophet prophesied against them because they didn't keep the word of God, which is what you're supposed to do, sadly. Then it goes on in 11, 11 through 12. 11, then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Halah and the, and the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would neither listen nor do it. But Hezekiah is just the opposite, guys. We see a polar, look at the distinction here. We've got a people who would not obey God. This is the northern kingdom. They're, they have been led into exile into Assyria. And if you look at the number that they say, it's amazing how many people were captured. But it's a lot. Because a lot of these people fled the city. As this was happening, they fled the city and ended up getting to Jerusalem. To safety because they knew they saw it but it says the annals of history say it was a, over 200,000 people is what he was able to capture that's the ones that weren't killed and didn't escape so he led away 200,000 almost a quarter let's say close to a quarter of a million people is what they is, is their figure that he led away to a to another place that's not counting those that got away that's amazing that's amazing then in so 11 through 12, the northern kingdom is exiled due to disobedience. That's why they were exiled. You and I, thankfully, we're saved, born-again believers. We're not exiled and banished from the kingdom of God just because we disobey. We're called to repent. And we're called to what? Live out a life in Christ. And hopefully before we get chastened, because those who are sons, he chastens. That's the whole idea, right? That's the same way with your children. If my son comes and tells me the truth before I find out he's a liar, I'm going to be a little less harsh on the punishment. That's just the truth. That's how I parented. If you are honest with me, this is going to be a lot easier for you, buddy. But if you lie to my face, that's not cool. Liars are not good people. Reality. Because if they'll lie to me, they'll lie to anybody, and they'll lie about anything. And it's hard to trust someone once they've truly lied to you. Let's be honest. So, then we go on to 13. In 13, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. This is eight years later. Now, eight years have passed. Eight years have passed, and Hezekiah has been preparing for this invasion. You have to know this man is with God. He's intact. He's moving in the spirit of God. He's doing the things that God ask him to do, telling him to do, taking over territories. You can't tell me that he didn't know if they took the northern kingdom, they're coming for the southern. He knows this, and that's what's so great about it because he built a siege wall, and if you go back and study it, here's the amazing thing. If you look at the siege wall that was built specifically for whenever he invades, they built it through the city, but they even built it through people's houses because they built it in a hurry. They needed to build it quickly because they knew that they were coming. They knew that this was going to happen. It was 22 feet thick and 25 feet high. That was the new wall that they built around the whole entire city. All right? 
But the cool part is, and all of y'all remember this, is Hezekiah's tunnel. Y'all studied Hezekiah's tunnel that went to the pool, to the spring. It was 1,750 feet long, all underground, all by hand. It, they, they, they guesstimate at the least it would have taken four years to have done with the type of tools they had. It would have taken at least four years. Craftsmen started on each end, and there's an inscription in the tunnel, like in the tunnel that carried the water. There's an inscription in there that, in their language that's, that talks about at the moment where the two picks were hitting the rock and the two picks hit at the same time and touched one another for the first time and they broke through a little over four years after they started. That's amazing. That's, and that's what they were saying. It's amazing how they don't know how. There's no way. Well, God, I mean, we know how, but there's no reason that they should have been able to do what they did because it's, it's not really possible with what they have. It wasn't possible. If you and I, I, you know, there's not enough time for all that. But if you study just that, go study just that. It's amazing. It's a. They were talking about what it would take. It would have to be. It would take four years is what it would take, of men working four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. That's how long it would take. Because there's no way a man could work more than four hours, and they would have to switch tools out so much because it was dolomite was the rock that's there and it's one of the hardest rocks there is. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. That it's even, I agree. I agree. So eight years have passed. And, and he's been preparing this whole time. That's what we see in verse 13. So beginning in verse 14, Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Now understand, at this point, he has decimated. The, he's taken the northern kingdom, and he's worked his way down. And you see the map, what the map looks like. Because he's went all the way around. At this point, he's went all the way around Jerusalem. He hasn't come up to it. He's just working his way around. And he's at Lachish. If you look on your map, it's at the bottom. It's, it's on the left hand down there, right above where it says YD 187 and 199. So he's right there. And you look over and you can see where Jerusalem is up there. And he's attacked and defeated. Look how close he got to Jerusalem. It's, it's right at the top of the river to the left. He's, he's attacked and taken everything from it. But he hasn't went and besieged it. Because he knows what it's going to take. Because he knew it took three years to take the last one, right? So he realizes this is going to be a fight. So he needs to get everything that he can around it so nobody else can help. That's his goal. That's what he's, that's what he's working toward. <clears throat> it says, Then Hezekiah, king of, of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. The, the best estimate they can give is it was definitely over two million dollars it was the idea but listen how he had to go about getting it he says and hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the lord and in the treasuries of the king's house there's no more money left okay at that time hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the lord and from the doorpost which hezekiah king of judah had overlaid and give to the king of assyria so since he's taken over in the last eight years He's done all this stuff. He's overlaid things with gold. He's putting things back the way they're supposed to be. He just undid all of that. 
because now he's trying to appease him because he's going, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Maybe I was wrong because maybe I was wrong because there's no problem. Isaiah did not tell him to stop paying tribute. Hezekiah took it upon himself to stop paying tribute. And I'm not saying it was right or wrong. The Bible actually doesn't say if it's right or wrong, but he's thinking now. He's thinking, wait a minute. This could really get bad really quick. So then in 17, then the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rashaka from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a large army of, to Jerusalem. So they went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they had went up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway of the fuller's field. Now this, um, this Rabshaka, that just means a very mighty, it was a general. It was one of the top generals in his army. It's kind of like saying Pharaoh. Pharaoh's name was not Pharaoh. He was a Pharaoh like you are a president. So Rabshaka, that's why you're going to see the person who's speaking, that's who's speaking. He's the one that's the highest and he's in authority. And he's not a very nice man. He says some pretty vulgar things. But the word of God is good about changing it to where it's not as vulgar as it could be. And he says, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in 18 through 37, we're going to read it straight through pretty much. He flexes his might before the people. And he says some things that really anger the God of Israel, really anger him. This is where I say this man thinks he's a God. Just like Xerxes thought he was a god. He didn't, he thought he was a god for real. And when he bled, he couldn't believe some of the things that happened to him because he had believed his mind was seared and he was led to believe that he was a god because that's what he wanted. When they had called to the king, Elikam, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe of Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? What, what is this confidence? Now, he's just paid them two million bucks to try and save his skin, and this is what they send back to him. He says, you say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now, on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now, behold, you, you rely on the staff of the crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on you? Here's the awesome part. If you look south of the Dead Sea and down in there, guess who's over there? Over all over there, that's Egypt. Okay, at this time, the Egyptians know that he's coming. They're smart too. History and the Bible even speaks of it. So here's what they're doing. They're trying to make an alliance between the northern and the southern kingdom of Egypt. I didn't even know there was one. But there's two princes, and they both rule two parts. And there's a letter that's sent to the northern kingdom and one of... One of Sennacherib's men gets hold of it. And he thinks that it also, Sennacherib, I'm sorry, he also thinks that what? That it's going to Hezekiah. Because he doesn't realize all they do is catch the messenger in the, in, the, in the middle. So he thinks now Hezekiah is forming an alliance with all of Egypt. So that's why he's saying this. Well, I mean, Hezekiah has no idea at this point. They don't even know what he's talking about. What do you mean, Pharaoh? I'm, I haven't even talked to them. In 22, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, it is not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and all, to all Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altar in Jerusalem. Because he took all that stuff away. And he said there's one place to worship because that was what was right. The temple, you worshiped where you were supposed to. Not on the high places, not on the hills. 
not in the evil ways. Now therefore, come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. Well, this is where the trash talk starts. Don't think that they didn't talk trash back then, too. That's what this man just said. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give you 2,000 horses. Do you even think you have the men that can sit on them? Well, how do Because he says, how, how then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? So how could you, with even with 2,000 horses, you can't even stand up against one, one of our people? Even if you have Pharaoh, that's not going to help you. Here, I now come up, up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. That's, you hear, you know who just said that? That man just said that. That, no. He thinks now that the God of Israel is on his side. So he's really talking some trash. Then Elikam, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Speak now to your servant in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to, with us in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Look, we don't want the people to hear all these things because what you're saying is pretty demoralizing, right? So speak to us in a language that they can't understand so that you don't demoralize the people. Then in 27, but Rabshaka said to them, Has my master sent me only to your master and to speak to you these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? We're going to besiege you, and guess what? That's what it's going to be your resort to. There's not going to be anything to eat or drink. Still talking trash. Well, he's getting pretty bad now. Then Rabshaka stood and cried with a loud voice in Judea and saying, Hear the word of the great king of the, of, uh, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make your trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each of his vine, and each of his fig tree, and drink of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to the land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods, this is where he really gets into it, think about all the nations that have fallen. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the kings of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seravim, Hena, and Avah? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Wait a minute. Now he's talking about Judah. He's talking about northern, the northern kingdom. Did they deliver? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their, their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was do not answer him. Smart man. Keep your peace. Don't say even one thing. Then Elikam, the son of Hilkiah who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and jo Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them the words of Roshaka. So he just said a whole bunch of things, and this is the great part. That's just the setting up part, and I know that takes a minute, but it does. Second Kings 19 is where we start getting into Hezekiah. This is the way we're supposed to go to God, okay, every single time. And we don't, and I'm, I'm included in that. But Isaiah has a purpose. Um, the God has a purpose. This church has a purpose. The pastorship, the ministry, the fellowship, we all have a purpose. 
And it is to encourage one another in our time of need. It really is. And if we're failing to do that, then we're failing to do what we've been called to do. In 19, it says, And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he said, Elakim, who was over the house with Shebna the scribe and the elder of the priest covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, The day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for the children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rashaka, who his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which he which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of the king of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Go, go to God. Go to God and seek godly counsel. And here's the thing. Don't go seek counsel from men. Go seek counsel from godly men and women. Not just from anybody. You can't get good counsel from somebody who's not a saved, born-again believer. I'm telling you. You might own in your investments or whatever, but major things in your life and problems that you're having, don't go to unsaved people. That makes zero sense. We're supposed to go to God and to God's people that have wisdom and knowledge and understanding. In verse 6, it says, And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword of his own land. Which eventually happens, takes a minute, but it does happen. And it's surprising how it does happen. It takes about 15 or 20 years after this, roughly. They don't have it exactly. But his two sons plot against him to kill him. And they do. They kill him in, the, in his temple. They go and they kill him as he prays. Then they look at each other and go, wait a minute. Which one of us is going to be king? Because if two people assassinate somebody now, somebody's got to be the better. So then they start a civil war between the two of them. They have a third brother. The third brother leaves the kingdom and goes to another place. He wants no part of it. So now these two fight each other and fight each other till there's almost nothing left. The third brother raises up an army, goes and kills everything, and takes it all over. Yeah. So don't mess with God. Because this is what happens. When he said you'll fall by the sword in your own land, he wasn't lying. But his whole household was wrecked also. Which is quite amazing. So then the last one, the, 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 the Rabshaka returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish because he had defeated it. When he heard them say concerning <clears throat> Taraka, king of Cush, behold, he has come out to fight against you, he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. So he's a serpent God. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed deliver them? Even Gozan, Haran, Rezaf, and the sons of Eden who were in Teslar? Where is the king of Hamath? the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seravim, and of Hena, and of, he's saying the same thing. He doesn't have anything else to say. He's just repeating the same thing. Where are they? They're dead. They're gone because I've destroyed them. That's his ultimate, that's what he's trying to tell them. In 14, so then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went to the house of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. What are we supposed to do with our problems? This is where it starts getting to what I say good. 
it's just history up to this point, but what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bring our burdens to the Lord and spread them out in front of Him. Does He already know we have them? Most certainly. But does He want us to call out to Him? Yes, He needs us to. I don't know why. I can't 100% explain it other than He loves us. Other than, I want my son to come to me every time he has a problem. I want him. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Pride and yeah. Totally goes against our flesh. Most certainly. Life, Yep. But I, I want my yeah. I, I want I want everyone that I know to be able to come to me and tell me something. I mean, that's the way this is supposed to be because if my son can't tell me, he's going to tell somebody, and chances are that somebody's not going to have good advice and wisdom, especially if they're about his age because that's generally what kids do. They talk to their peers. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. Talk to somebody who's seasoned and has more. I'm going to go talk to somebody who's 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years older than I am every time I get a chance. I'm going to talk to my dad first. If I'm going to talk to Brother Gene. I'm going to talk to Brother Travis. I talk to my grandpa I know we're from different generations, and I understand there's generational gaps they talk about, and some of those things, we wouldn't handle them the same way. But you know, most things that are tried and true, they're that way for a reason. The reason that capitalism works is because capitalism works, because it does. We don't need to be a nation that's socialist. We don't need that. We don't need a lot of the stuff we have in education. You know what? The thing that built this nation was an education system that could continue to build this nation. I mean, let's be honest. You can't tell me that what built this nation can't sustain this nation. But they always want something bigger and better. And it's really ridiculous. Honestly, it's ridiculous. That's a whole other story. Yeah, so in 15, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim? Where is he at? Where was last week? Where is he? We're back where we were last week. When I read that, it excited me, and it does even now. Because where he says, listen, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, "Where the ark. That's what he's saying. He's saying, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim. He was enthroned above the cherubim. That's what we learned last week, did we not? Isn't that cool? Then he says, Thou art the God, thou art alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made the heaven and earth. Incline thy ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sinecraft, which has, he has sent reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. And now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou alone, O Lord, art God. It sounds like a Moses prayer. It sounds like a prayer of a, of a righteous man. Because at the end, it's, it always brings it back to that. You, God makes promises. And he tells him there is, Deliver us from the hand of all the kingdoms that they may know that thou alone, that you are God and you are God alone. That is, that is never a terrible prayer. It's to remind God, although he doesn't know, you are God alone and you show them. That's an awesome prayer. Back to him, which is great. Then... Um, starting in 20, 20 through 34, we'll read it through. Um, Isaiah prophesies again. Starting in 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent 
sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. Through your messengers you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, With my chariots I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. God doesn't miss anything. He heard every word that man said. Every rail that he brought, an accusation he brought against the one true living God. Again, he says, I'm sorry, through my, your messengers of Lebanon, and I cut down it tall, its tall cedars and its choice cypresses, and I entered its farthest lodging place, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did, from ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn forfeited cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. He said he planned that. Did you grasp, did you, did you see that? He planned that he would bring those places to ruinous heaps. Why was all of the nation of Israel being destroyed? Because they had defied the living God. And he sent them to do this. They think they're doing it, but it's because God has directed their feet. He says, therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herb. A grass on the housetops is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because of your raging against me and because of your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back to the way which you came. You're going back home. That's, you can't, that's pretty straight. Then he says in 29, Then this shall be the sign for you. You shall eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year so replant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. There's always a remnant. There's another promise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then he says, The zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, neither shall he come, not come before it with a shield nor throw up a mound against it. Siege walls, and that's important. By the way that he came, by the way he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. He never makes it there, ever. He never makes it there. Remember that, ever. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Boy, it's good to have an awesome lineage, isn't it? Our lineage is Abraham and David. You see what he did for David? He does it for you and I because that's where our lineage comes from. Then it happened. That's, that's, that's what he said. Verse 34 is where this is the one. This is the kicker. Everybody loves this part. The rest of it is just kind of we know that God did this, right? But look at what God did even before this moment. All that's been said, all that Hezekiah has done, what Isaiah has done in that time. Think about all those things before we get to this. God is good. God has he's held off the enemy from this for this specific moment in time. Then in 35, and then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. 
That's where his capital was. There, that's a whole other thing that I got into. There's not enough time for all this. It's really amazing. I wish we could just devote our time to studying the Old Testament because it's amazing. It says, And it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, that Adaramelech and Sharsharazer killed him with the sword. This is his sons. And they escaped into the land of Arat, and Esharon, his son, became king in his place. So two of his sons kill him, then they fight, then the other son comes back, kills his brothers to take it over. Pretty horrible thing. That ends that. But the reason I wanted you to remember the siege party is I want to read something to you to end this off. History, history has different accounts for everything, correct? I mean, we all know that. Historically, all these things did happen, okay? We know the way that it happened for us. We know the way that it happened for others. But this is what's... The account that we just heard is the account of the Jews. That's how they record it, how God records it in His Word. That's what I believe. I'm sure that's what you believe. Okay? So what we find is, is that um, we have biblical account of his response to Hezekiah's rebellion. The Assyrians captured all fortified cities of Judah except Jerusalem. This is like 49 cities. He overthrew 49 fortified cities. That's really an amazing feat. But he did not take Jerusalem. He says he took a lot of money. He intimidated him, stripped him of his gold from the temple. He asked him, on whom do you rely? We went through all of that. That is the one that we believe in. And then we believe that that night that God sent the angel of the Lord and he destroyed 185,000 people and he went back home just like he said. And then we know historically that he died just as God said he would die in his own land by the sword. But here's the thing about here's the thing about propaganda understand propaganda goes all the way back to the beginning of everything of war of anything so Sennacherib he had um it is actually a six-sided clay prism it looks like think of a honeycomb it's like that but it stands about this tall and on each side he put his conquests on it so this is how this is how the Assyrians record this this is their version of it he says that as to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I, I laid besieged to 46 of his strong cities, walls, walled forts into the countless small villages in their vicinity and conquered them by means of well-stamped earth ramps and battery rams brought thus near to the walls combined with the attack by foot soldiers using mines, breaches, and as well trenches. Hezekiah himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence like a bird in a cage. I surrounded him with earthwork in order to molest those who were leaving his city's gates. Thus I reduced his country, but I still increased the tribute and the presence due to me as his overlord to be delivered annually. Sennacherib claims that he forced the Judean king to send 30 talents of gold and 800 talents of silver to Assyria, along with a long list of treasures, including Hezekiah's own daughters and a palace woman. According to the Assyrian record, Sennacherib had great success against the Jews, nothing about an angel of the Lord striking down 185,000 of his troops. That's how he records it. But here's the awesome part. We know from what the Word of God said in history, they're never, ever, they never touched the city of Jerusalem, ever. So this is propaganda. He also, within his palace at Nineveh, he had a thing. It's, they have a picture of it, like a literal picture of it. It's engraved. It's 80 foot by 40 foot on the wall of this siege. That's how important this was to his being a, his kingship was he, he recorded it. 
Now, this is the awesomest one to me because I'd never heard this with the Egyptians who were not a part of anything, but the Egyptians even have their own version of what happened. And guess who, guess who made sure that nobody got destroyed? It was their God. So this is how, this is how you get where you get. As told by Herodias, now Herodias was a Greek historian, and he took and went around just like Luke did. He went around and asked and asked and asked witnesses. This man went, and that's all he did. He was not partial. He was one of the first true historians they record. He was the first true historian that was not partial. So this is what he, he provides a third account. This version places the decisive turning point of the Assyrian campaign in the Nile River Delta rather than at Jerusalem. Herodias tells us that King Sethos of Egypt panicked at Sennacherib's army moving into the country. Sethos entered a temple of the god Hephaestus to lament and pray. In his lamentation, he fell asleep, Herodias says, and dreamt that he saw the god standing over him and bidding him take courage, for he should suffer no ill. From the army of Sennacherib, myself, the god promised king, the king, will, I will send you champions. And he's sending him champions. Like the account in 2 Kings, Herodias credits divine intervention by a different god for Sennacherib's decision to abandon his military campaign as the Syrians encroached on Egypt, the champions appeared. This is, this is his champions. One night, a multitude of field mice swarmed over the Assyrian camp and devoured their quivers and their bows and the handles of their shields likewise, insomuch that they fled the next day unarmed and many fell. Herodotus notes that still to this day, more than two centuries after the invasion, there is a statue of the king in the temple in Egypt. The king had a mouse in his hand and an inscription on the statue read, Look on me and fear the gods. So, you see what I'm saying? It, it, it matters what you believe. It matters what you believe. There's three different accounts of one thing that actually did happen that's recorded. But do you see how in each one of them they had their God because what was Sennacherib? To himself, he was God. The The... The Egyptians used their God. But here's the thing. They used truths, but it never was the truth, which is exactly what Satan does now. There's, a, there's truth in it, but it's the truth that I want you to know. Well, the Egyptian account solidifies that something supernatural happened. They say it was rats that came yes. the Lord. Did it. The Lord. But, but that unbiblical account The, the, the four things, this is the four things from the, from the 19th chapter for you and I, what we should take away. All the rest was history, and I, I enjoy that part. But number one, Hezekiah went to the man of God for advice. He went to the place of God. He cried out to God, and then he went for godly counsel. We don't have prophets now. You know, we, we have men of God and women of God that we trust. We should in our lives. 
mature Christians that we trust for godly counsel. We need to do that. That's the first thing he did. The second thing he did, which I love, is he actually placed his problem before the Lord. He just spread it all out. He just spread every piece of it out. Now, all of us have a siege in our life. I truly believe that, myself included. We all have things that we still battle and things that are part of our old life. Behold, all things become new just means I have a new spirit, and now I'm in a process of sanctification, and things are going to change. But I wish every single thing about me was radically changed and there was no more depravity in me, but that's not true, guys. There's still depravity. I'm, I'm a depraved individual, but God is working that out. But then he trusted God's response. That's the, other, that's the third thing. Do we truly trust God when he does give us an answer? What does that answer sound like? I've never heard it audibly, honestly, but I see it. I can see God's answer. I can see God's response. I see him move because that's what we do in this, this period of time that we live in. And what I like about it is God is the one who takes care of everything. Who exacted revenge? It wasn't Hezekiah, but God did. God said, who vindicates us? God does. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be mad at someone. We don't have to be upset at someone. We don't have to hate somebody. Because it's not even the person. That's what I'm having to learn is it's not even the person. It's the spirit. These men were evil because they were under the rule of the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the reality. They just weren't under the spirit of God. If the spirit of God had been on them, how would they have acted? Differently. But they were not. That's the awesome part. That's the awesome thing for you and I. We can follow his example. I'm glad that he brought this one up. I've learned a tremendous amount from this. I would say this, guys, honestly. Whatever we, whenever we study this, there's a lot more that goes into this. Y'all know that. You've studied for lessons. There's a lot more that goes into it, and there's not enough time to give it all to you. But if you truly want to know all of it, if you'll study this out and reference everything that goes with it, y'all, the amount of stuff that you learn is just amazing. It's amazing. It truly... Many books on that. Gussie Greer, I think she had a book on, on everything. Yes. So... Most certainly. It keeps us reminded yes. of who God is and what He's done. Yes, ma'am. How far He's brought us from what we could have been yes. or how we could have turned out. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that um, I ask God, you know, forgive me of something I've done. And He does. Yeah. I, I truly believe that yeah. because I love Him and I ask Him with an honest heart. Yeah. Yeah. This is not who you are. Yeah. You know, I'm creating someone that's more like me. That's a good. And one day we'll get there. Yeah. But it's every day we live until we meet him. That's right. It's like a struggle. Yes, well. We do. We all have that thorn in our flesh. That's right. But we have to keep whittling down. Yeah. Until one day we meet him. Yeah. And that's my belief. I agree. That's when I we build, know. Yeah. God builds me up. Yes. And now I have faith. I have more faith. But he doesn't let me forget. Oh, no. He's no, in my life. I agree. I don't know why 
Yes, sir. Most certainly. Yeah. Well, he could have destroyed the entire, the whole line because it was the son yeah. that went back. I mean, if you read even further, mm -hmm. in 21, 22, 23, the, the children um, really did evil. Oh, it gets a lot worse. Yeah. Because his yeah. promise in Second Samuel seven was to never do that again. When he made the yeah. promise to David, that I will I will destroy those who are evil, but I will never take the kingdom from you. There will be one from your lineage that will have an eternal kingdom. That's why when he when he said that about David, that's what excited me when he said, Because of the promise I made to your father David. Well, that's not his father. That's far removed by generations, as you right. said. But he's still our father. David's our father. So that same promise for Hezekiah is our promise today. Because he is our father. Because we're the seed of Abraham. And through that seed came the promise of David. And through that came Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's exciting right now. It's going to be rough when we face adversity tomorrow or in 15 minutes when we get home. But guys, it's the moments like this that we can go, yes. Just what y'all are saying, yes. No. That's why we do this, so we can draw from this, because I can assure you, in hours to come, it's going to go. So, yeah. yeah, that's right. It's how it goes. But the breakthrough is so much better than a tear. Yes, ma'am. That's a fact. That's a fact. Amen. Thank God. All right, does anybody have anything else to say or any questions? I'll pray and dismiss us. Father, we thank you for yet another time to be in, in your word, God, and study. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done all the way back from the beginning, Lord, to make sure that there was a remnant, to make sure that you had a people. And, Father, tonight I thank you myself personally and for each one that's here, God, that is a part of your kingdom, Father, that you did choose us, God, that you called us, Lord, that we accepted, Lord, that we are in the process of sanctification, God that we're looking towards the day that that hope that we have in you now will be in glory with you, Father. Thank you, God, for those who have led us to this place, God, in the way that they live their life and those who have prayed so many prayers for us for the breakthroughs that we've had in our life. God, I pray that you would keep us, that you would be with each and every one of us, that you would prompt our hearts to know how to love one another, Father, how to, when to call one another, when to pray for each other, when to call out for you, that, God, we would spread those strongholds in our lives before you and trust you that you will take care of each and every one of them father i thank you again for this night and for this people it's in jesus name we pray amen you've been listening to the learning curve podcast brought to you by abundant grace church here in deville louisiana 
uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. There you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.